Today's the day. Today's the day we're breaking down the season one finale. Welcome into By Order of the Peaky Blinders, a spoiler-free podcast breaking down every single episode of the 1920s family gang drama on Netflix and BBC. I'm your host, Daniel Gilman. And I'm Josh Levy. This is episode six of the first season, an action-packed first season ready to break down this wonderful season finale. And before we do, go ahead and take a second and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. And as always, subscribe and follow. Remember, you can send us feedback via email at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com or by messaging us on Twitter or Facebook. Daniel, before we get started, uh, I I just want to know how you're feeling. I know just letting our listeners know that Daniel got his wisdom teeth taken out. This is how dedicated Daniel is to the podcast. He got his wisdom teeth taken out days, not even a couple days ago. So Daniel, how are you feeling? I'm all right. Talking, uh, talking is not as fun as it was uh, last week. I, I was, we were going to have a, uh, a Thomas Shelby opium episode where, where I was going to take my painkillers and then we were going to talk, but I took the first set of painkillers and I was, uh, I was not ready to go on air, so I am clean-headed, I'm on the wagon, and I'm ready to break into this episode that Stephen Knight, I think he just hit this one out of the park. I love six-episode series now. I've only seen a few of them. Bodyguard's another one that I watched on BBC, and I don't know what they have, but the British have nailed the formula. They have just knocked it out of the park. This is a freaking great episode. It's a bloody great episode. So much happens. As we said before, I think episode five sets up episode six perfectly. And just, you know, Game of Thrones like to have their uh, episode nines out of ten be their uh, penultimate episodes. But Stephen Knight really, really packs it in in episode six really well. So just really excited to break it down. Let's let's uh, run it, Daniel. Yeah, titled episode six. This one grabbed a 9.2 rating on IMDb. The highest we'll get until the season two finale, which uh, oh, I don't want to jump ahead. That one was uh, incredible. Stephen Knight knows how to close episodes. He knows how to close seasons, as the description for this finale reads. Thomas prepares to oust Billy Kimber from power, but family secrets that come to light and the obsessed Campbell may prove his undoing. Directed by Tom Harper, written by Stephen Knight. Today's the day, Josh, and that's that's it. You know, today's the day crazy shit is about to happen, and uh, we're going to see where loyalties truly lie. Today is the day. Today is the day. As we will see, that that is a very uh, fitting and proper phrase for this episode. This episode has a lot, a lot, so strap in, buckle up, get on your Tommy Shelby horse, because... Just as we got brought in the first episode of the whole series, we're about to strap in and, and, and go for a ride. And as we did in the season one, episode one, first episode, we head over to Chinatown where Mr. Zhang is brushing his teeth and clearly a few hours before opening time as the inspector strolls into his dry cleaner shop. Mr. Zhang says that it, we're not open for a couple hours, but the inspector wants to get a little poon on this fine morning, Josh. So Zhang sets him up with an especially young girl for a special, special, a special, special customer. As Red Right Hand begins, Tommy wakes Arthur up at the garrison, waits up Charlie and Curly, finally uh, interrupting a little morning delight between John and Esme, preparing them for the day. It's Black Star Day, as uh, Esme's not too, uh, not too thrilled 
that John is uh, being interrupted in the middle of a little bit of, uh, of lovemaking. But Tommy wants to make sure that he's done you by nine. Yeah, the, the inspector uh, wants, wants to get his. John wants to get his. Everyone's getting his before, uh, before the action happens, I guess. The, the scene with the inspector, once again, he just makes me uncomfortable. I'm, like, cringing. And, I mean, I don't know if we're really going to get into what happens with the inspector, but he ends up being a little too rough. But it's it's just it's just weird. He's just weird. I, I don't even know if he's ever done that thing before. Like <laughs> it just looks uncomfortable. Yeah, we see Polly putting together a long prayer for her family, calling each individually out and why she loves each member in her family and why they need protection. Tommy does walk in on the end of that, and then we see, you know, the fantastic service that Mr. Zhang provides. Because not only do you get to have sex with an underage woman. You get to have your uh, your clothes pressed and dry cleaned, as the inspector is very happy that uh, this this service is so efficient. And as you mentioned, he likes it rough, a little bit too rough, even drawing a little bit of blood from our I don't know teenage Chinese girl that he uh, he takes to Pound Town. As uh, we interrupt that with a little bit of Grace getting dressed, Grace showing up to the usual meeting place, but Campbell does not show up today. Instead, it's Sergeant Moss handing Grace a letter and calling her a whore, basically uh, outlining Campbell's knowledge of Grace and Tommy, getting it in, I don't know if it was the night before, or whatever, the episode before, however you want to say it. Tommy got it in, not the day of the Black Star Day, but very recently when they had a little bit of uh, snooky snooky. Also, <laughs> Campbell calls Grace a traitor and accuses her of treason. But we'll see a little bit later that he keeps his word. The one thing he does keep with, uh, with Winston Churchill keeps his word about Grace by saying that she deserves a medal and has been uh, instrumental in the help. And Sergeant Moss hands Grace an envelope after calling her a whore. And we hear the inspector's voice, you know, kind of narrating the letter a little bit and something that I thought was pretty important and something pretty powerful that he wrote was, You've betrayed every principle of standard of honor that was your birthright, and for what? And she she asides to herself and says, "Love." And I wrote a little note when I when I wrote this quote down, you know, because throughout this show, there's so many great quotes and blurbs that I have to write them down. I literally wrote "sheesh," and it, it's crazy because Tommy really made her fall in love. Really, really made her fall in love when she originally had the intention of betraying him and, 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 and ousting him. And he says that she has betrayed every standard of honor that was her birthright. Really, really cut into the core. And pretty powerful scene that's, that sets the tone. Yeah, and you have to remember that Grace's dad was a very reputable policeman who was killed by the IRA. And But who wouldn't fall for, for Killian Murphy playing Tommy Shelby? I mean, I, I have a feeling that... Uh, that we're going to touch back on this at the end of the episode when we see a little bit more of the emotions fly, so we'll wait for then. We see Tommy, Arthur, and John show up to the uh, dry cleaners to pick up their suits. Zhang, uh, he basically tells Tommy that he has something funny to say, asks for a few extra pounds, and then tells him that Campbell is sitting in the back room. So we do get one last meeting between these two this season. Tommy, uh, Tommy gets a few roasts in on the inspector, calling him out for basically being the same as every other cop that he has followed, and then the inspector saying, yes, and every cop who follows me will essentially be doing this as well. This is our duty, 
and we all make sacrifices for that duty. And uh, obviously the, the sacrifice here is the fact that the inspector did not get grace, but he was able to uh, dig one into the backside of Tommy on the way out without saying it in as many words, saying that grace is the one that who betrayed him and that, quote, his heart will be broken by today's end. As uh, we move over back to Ada's house, where now Ada's kind of welcoming Polly into the fold. They're playing with the baby, and we get the first scene that explores Polly's background. And it's very important, Josh, for me to kind of dive into this because I think in a season finale, it's huge to open up new storylines. And one that could have been opened up for the next few seasons could have been the father. That might be on the line from last episode. But Polly's background and Polly's children were touched on here, and you have a feeling that it's going to linger. Polly says that she had two kids, Sally, who was three years old, and Michael, who was five. Polly was at the church with when some pink-faced bitch ratted on her for stealing hotel sheets because she was jealous at the fine linen hanging from the outside of Polly's place. She called the police, and when they came, they found a still making a little bit of gin. So they took her babies from her. It must have been illegal to, uh, to make alcohol. I don't know if, if England had a prohibition. Maybe they did. They don't say when this was. They just say sometime in the past. Polly, uh, Polly gets emotional with Ada and then tells Ada a secret, which we don't know about till later, begging her to believe that Tommy was innocent in the Freddie Thorne situation. And Ada kind of says, hey, if this is true, then I will believe you, but I'm not sure as we cut over to Ada's husband, Freddie, looking like absolute garbage in jail. And Josh, the Peaky Blinders are not done with Freddie Thorne. Exactly. Freddie's not looking great. His haircut's still awful as ever, although maybe his hair's actually grown in a little bit, and, you know, the the, the fade, the buzz is, is, is not as awful as it looked. So Freddie's nervous about getting transported to another prison because he knows that as a communist, he's probably going to die in whatever prison they transport him to. And his guard says, don't worry, you're not going to make it that far. So that's got us worried. Is he going to be killed halfway? Is he going to be saved? What's going to happen? Quickly, we see Churchill and Campbell meet when Churchill puts him up for a medal and also mentions Grace. Campbell says that Grace was fantastic. We get a nice little uh, portrait of, uh, of Grace that we'll see you know, a few more times in this episode. The inspector also mentions he doesn't want the Peaky Blinders arrested. In a very dark way, very telling way, says... He doesn't want them arrested. He goes, I have plans of my own for the Peaky Blinders. And Churchill doesn't say anything. And it's crazy that the time that, that, was, that, that, that we're talking about here is these higher up officials, these very important people are just turning a blind eye to these things that are going on. I mean, Churchill, Churchill's not dumb. He's smart. He knows exactly what that means. And so the, the inspector doesn't want to make any arrests because if there's any arrests, as we've talked about before, then there'll be in the paper and they'll in the papers and there'll be trials and it'll just it'll, it'll be a big public fiasco. So the inspector wants to take care of uh, Tommy Shelby and the Blanders himself. Yeah, these are just some gypsy scum, you know, hours north of London that he doesn't really care about. And so now that we've gotten all of the prelude out of the way, here we go. The meat of the episode starts now. So buckle in. Tommy announces in front of his gang that today is the day that they defeat Billy Kimba and join the official National Association of Race Bookmakers. They're planning to go to the Worcester races with the Lees meeting them there. And uh, together they're going to put together some sort of overthrowing of all of the bookies. But we don't 
we don't worry about that. We don't get to that. Tommy is obviously planning to deal with Kimber himself. And before we uh, see this meeting disperse, Polly has a new member. And for a second, I was like, oh my God, are we going to meet, you know, one of Polly's kids that she just talked about? But no, instead it's Ada who shows up to the meeting with little Carl, her baby named after Carl Marx, of course. And uh, I think this is the first time, Josh, that the, the brothers get to meet their nephew as Arthur puts a hat on little Carl, throws him up in the air and says, we look alike. He's a Shelby. And uh, everyone's kind of happy now as, as Ada forgives Tommy based on what Aunt Polly told her, which is what we'll get to now as we see a Kappa. His name is Michael, and he's nervous about his life because the Peaky Blinders threatened him. So he's going to let Freddy escape, get beaten up a little bit, but not before we see Danny Wizbang show up with one of the Lewis machine guns that I guess uh, I guess all 25 of them weren't buried in that... Uh, in that cemetery because Freddie Thorne is freed by Danny who has one of them. And you kind of see the relief on Freddie's face and he looks up into the sky a little bit and he goes, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. And Tommy Shelby does it again. And Freddie, you know, all, all that disdain, all that hatred towards him before, you got to believe that he's pretty happy with Tommy Shelby right now. As Freddie looks at Danny and he goes, Danny, I thought you were dead. And he's like, I was in London. <laughs> Yeah, Danny says uh, basically the same thing. Danny's crazy, man. He's a wild card. He's just like, he's just jacked up, ready to go. And then we get an awesome shot of all of the blinders walking through the streets of Birmingham through the reflection of this massive puddle. So first they're upside down, and then the camera pans up. Tom Harper directs this episode. He kills it, knocks it out of the park. Every single second, I am, I got like a little bit of like a nervous tick. I'm like, oh my God, it's the season finale. I know something crazy is going to happen. And we find out what crazy is about to happen. First, they're all going to start drinking. Tommy has everyone have what, a pint, a pint of mild and, and a chaser. Nothing more. Got to keep their heads straight. Grace is preparing him, running through everything he needs to know, like an offensive coordinator before the first quarter of the big Super Bowl. Tommy, uh, Tommy makes a joke, and it doesn't really get accepted like he wants to. He says, he says she's going to be at the next family meeting hinting that uh, maybe she'll be part of the family soon. And I'm just like, fuck, Tommy, man. Damn it. You, you had a great woman, and she just fucked you. Because uh, Grace starts to cry, announces that she won't be there when Tommy comes back. What is that, Josh? Red flag number uh, 21? It's, it's got to be at least, like, red flag 21. So, so, somewhere in the 20s. And, 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 and we're in the sixth episode of the, of, of the series, so... Pretty frustrating. I mean, come on. Yeah, they're talking in the back room. Grace says, quote, I have done something terrible to you, but seconds before she can tell him, and I think she was about to, I think she was about to confess, someone bursts in, and it's Jeremiah letting him know that the Kimber boys are headed to Birmingham. They're not going to the Worcester races. Someone must have tipped him off, and unfortunately, the Lees are already on their way to the races, so the Shelbys are outnumbered. Tommy has to, uh, Tommy has to find out in what is the worst way, his brain finally connecting that is his love and a conversation with Polly that it was Grace that ratted him out. And Polly kind of connects the dots for him a little bit and says, who else Who else knew you planned to move on Kimber? Who else knew today was the day? Who Who else could it be, Tommy? Who, I mean, who else could it be? And then she And then she says, she says to him, there's only one thing that can blind a man as smart as you, Tommy, and that's love. And as we've said so often in these previous episodes that love is blind, love is blind, 
And there's only one thing that can blind Tommy, and that is grace, and that is the love for grace. And so it, it finally clicks, and Tommy really doesn't say anything because he's he's so shocked that this could happen. And Paul plans to deal with Grace herself and tells Tommy, if you lay lay eyes on her again, you might kill her. So I'll deal with her myself. And Polly's not messing around, man. And deal with her, she does. Our next scene, it might be the the best. It might be the best scene of the whole season. It, it's a showdown, Josh, worthy of a John Wayne flick. Polly is standing in the garrison. It's just her and Grace. Polly grabs a hairpin from her uh, her bun or whatever hairstyle that is. I'm not, you know, equipped. Her bob or something. I, I, I don't know. But Grace brought a gun to the knife fight. And so standing there with a barrel staring her down, Polly just reams out this Irish maiden, calls her out for falling in love, saying, quote, we've had some coppas narcs here, but you're the queen of them all. Really gets into the point calling her a rich girl. Just boom, 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 boom. And Grace throws the gun away, says, I'll, I'll show you how a rich girl fights. Plans to fight with fists, saying she's actually from a tough family also. But Polly's like, that's not how women do it. Let's have a drink. Let's talk this over and uh, smoke a cigarette. I was so, so shook by this. I mean, I, I thought it was just going to be boom, boom, boom. But Polly's like, no, let's let's talk this out because Polly has a way with words and she can knock people out with her words. And she she says some things that offend Grace here and Grace is ready to throw, fight. I'll fight you with my fists and show you how a rich girl fights. I'm from a tough family too. She's but Grace doesn't just back down to Polly. And I, I we don't we don't see people back down. We don't see people stand up to Polly like this. And Polly, I think, wanted to use words because we find out that Grace did fall in love with Tommy. Tommy's in love with Grace. And Polly ends, I'm going to jump to the end, Polly ends the conversation by basically saying, you know, guys are fucking confusing. He might just, he might just accept it. He might follow his dick and forgive you. So let's, let's get to the bottom of this. You need to get out of town. But first, Grace asks her, what, would he, what was Tommy like before France? And Polly, Polly says that he used to laugh a lot. And he, he, then he threw his medals in the cut right after because he, he's he's not the person of honor like that. Or the, the person that's going to showboat, you know, his his honor. He he didn't like his time at the war, but before he used to laugh a lot. And we didn't we didn't really see Tom. We don't see Tommy laugh uh, laugh a lot anymore. And as you just said, she even states that you know he might forgive you, but she'll never forgive her, and that men forgive anyone that their dicks point at. And I just thought that was a, such a Paul line. And that she even says that it's that it's her who runs the business at the heart of the family. And as far as she's concerned, she's a snitch from the parish. And if she's not gone from the city tomorrow, she'll kill her herself. Polly, don't mess. I love this scene. Bang. It, it, it is the closest you can get to shooting a gun and like just missing your ear by just using words. And Polly's uh, fantastic yeah. with that. And... After all of this, you think Grace is just not going to have anything to say back. And as she's walking away out, out of the garrison, she says, maybe what really upsets you is the thought that you might lose him. And that's that, – boom, Grace, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, may, maybe, that's, maybe that's the truth. You know, Paul gives, gives her, little, her little monologue about how she lost her own children. And, I mean, and not to say that Paul doesn't love Arthur and doesn't love John, but – I think, you know, Paul really does love Tommy as a son, not just as a nephew, but really as a son. And so Grace kind of senses that, and I, I agree. Maybe the thought that she might lose Tommy actually does hurt her. 
So now we get to the uh, the big climax scene as the police, it turns out, are going to be letting Kimber's men through as they've all left town. Moss and Campbell are talking about this. We're going in and out, so I'll try to you know break this up into little portions. Campbell tells Moss, stand down all the officers all around Small Heath. Quote, let dog eat dog. Let the beasts devour each other. And I just remember saying like, oh my God, good luck, Shelby's. Because I think, I mean, it looks bad. Tommy's talking about... He's got a fantastic pregame speech here. This is worthy of a Champions League final showdown, trying to get your rally fucking... You're just so hyped. It is the speech to end all speeches, Josh. Instead of fighting at the races, the fight will happen right here at Small Heath. And as I read it over, I'm just so excited. You know, he's talking about how the garrison, which was actually called the garrison in real life, it's really a garrison. And Tommy and the gang are outnumbered three to one. So they are the Small Heath Rifles. Tommy asks Jeremiah, the walking priest, if he can borrow, just borrow a few minutes from God to use his gun and fight like he did in France. And Jeremiah says, God doesn't deal with Small Heath, so he'll fight with them. I had chills, and we are just, it's its essentially, and we want to keep making comparisons to Game of Thrones. I'm sorry if you haven't seen this, this, season, this series or the season, but there's an episode of Game of Thrones where they're getting ready for the big fight. And I remember comparing it to like the locker room before the big game. And that's what these like five, six minutes really felt like. I love, there was a point in my life, pretty weird thing that I did when I was younger. I used to watch like pregame pump up speeches. (laughs) I know it's weird. It's weird. But what I, this did remind me of a pregame pump up speech. You know, you're Ed Reed against Boston College. I'm hurt, dog, for all my for all my Miami Hurricane fans speeches. The Tim Tebow locker room speech, you know, it's 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 really reminiscent of a leader of a team grabbing his team together, rallying them and telling them that this is what it's like. I would imagine that this is what it's like in a Champions League final, you know, before the game. This is it. This is, you know, and and he goes, you have about 10 minutes. You you have about 10 minutes. Make your peace with whoever. And it it, it reminds me of when Tim, of when Tim Tebow was like you have 60 minutes for the rest of our lives. And it's it's reminiscent of, of a captain of a team ra- taking his, his team into battle on the field. It was just, it was, it, it gave me the chills. And Tommy, Tommy has such a way with words, man. He really does. Tommy, who does not believe in God, has a little bit of time for uh, Harry, the uh, former owner of the garrison, to make his peace with the big bad wolf. Harry grows some hair on his balls before the fighting starts, goes up to Tommy and, you know, basically confirms that Grace has left, and then calls out Thomas Shelby for saying, basically, you don't really know how to uh, not get what you want for, like, the first time. Because he, he says, you took my pub. And Tommy's like, I gave you a fair price. And he's like, no, you gave me an ultimatum. And Harry says, quote, you're a bad man, but you're our bad man. So I guess that's why everyone's rooting for you. But basically, Harry's not rooting for him. And it's, it's a great little scene here where Tommy goes into that that mentality of a warrior that you like to touch on, the the touchbacks to, to being a soldier in the war. And they kind of go back and forth. It's a nice little uh, – This I like how everyone, you know, in their 10 minutes is, you know, making their peace. And Tommy, Tommy and Harry are uh, chopping it up a little bit. And Harry asks Tommy a question, and he goes, will you go after her? And Tommy – references the soldier's minute as we're going to get as we'll get in here and it's really it's really impactful for this for what's about to transpire and says she's in the past the past is not my concern and then he pauses and he goes the future is not my concern either 
So it's and you're you're wondering Tommy's really in the moment. He's focused on this moment than now. He's not gonna he's not gonna let Grace cloud his mind right now. So Tommy talks about that one minute. If you're wondering what the soldier's minute is, if you don't really remember, if you're not doing the rewatch, he says, "quote one minute of everything at once. Everything before is nothing. Everything after is nothing. Nothing compares." And in that scene. He starts to flash back to the few moments that he has with Grace, whether it was the night before or the weekend before when they're having sex. And, and I don't believe him. You know what I mean? He, what he says is immensely deep, but I don't believe that he's not caring about Grace. And we're going to see as, as this fight continues, Tommy and Billy Kimber have a decision to make. And it looks like Tommy makes a decision to not sacrifice everything. He's not doing what he did in the war. And Finn's going to come and alert Tommy that the men are here. And here we go. Our final 20 minutes of the season one finale. Thanks so much for you guys for getting here with us. This has been a fantastic ride through season one. And it ends in such drama. Kimber shows up with his flock of men. About 17 or 18 guys are walking in their, their old town hats. Big guns, a car behind them compared to about six or seven Peaky Blinders. They meet in the middle of the road, Kimber in the front, Tommy in the front. John reigns out, all guns and no balls, right, Billy boy? And uh, something about this scene, it, it, it is comedic. And there's a little bit of comedic relief, especially as Arthur awaiting the order. And it shows Polly sitting inside and waiting because what what can women do at this point? Women, women can't do anything, right? All... All the women can do is wait for the men. And before we see what happens, we'll get a cut real quick as Moss allows Campbell a second to, uh, to redeem himself. Moss says, we heard about machine gun firing outside the city. Do you want us to try to, you know, do something? Is there anything we can do? We only found 24 of those machine guns. You know, the fighting's about to begin. We could still go back. And, Mo and Campbell's like, shut the fuck up, dude. What what's done is done. You know, get out of here. And this is when Moss really grows a little bit of balls, too. He, he undresses the inspector with some insults, Josh. Calls him the devil, which is a, a sentiment I could not agree more with. And he goes on. He, he says, you know, when I heard you were coming in here, I was really happy. I really thought you were going to clean up the city. And I, and I really thought you, you were here for, for some betterment of the city. And it's entirely not that. He has his own agendas. He has his own vendettas that get in the way. And after Sergeant Moss delivers this to Campbell, he just goes, their methods of self-destruction are not my concern. It's like, Campbell, bro, like, c c come on, dude. He's trying to talk some sense into you. You're not always right, but Campbell is so damn stubborn. And it, every single scene I see Campbell, I hate him more and more. We're not going to see uh, too much more of him this episode, but hold on. First, we find out that women can do something, but not before Tommy and Billy are saying some shit with their words. They're getting the trash talking out of the way. And who shows up? Who shows up? A little bit of artillery as Freddie Thorne and Danny Wizbang come in with a fucking Lewis machine gun to even the odds as Sergeant Thorne is reporting for duty. Josh, I'm so happy. He's fighting alongside his schoolmate, his war buddy, Thomas Shelby, just like he wanted. But wait, there's no fighting because a woman in black comes in with a baby. And who is it? It's Ada fucking Thorne. Nobody fucks with Ada fucking Shelby or Ada fucking Thorne. She walks into no man's land with Carl 
the communist baby wearing black in preparation for all the death. As the baby starts crying, she appeals to their better senses and announces that she is not going to move. She does not want all of these men to die like they know they're going to. And uh, Billy Kimber has to agree. Yeah, I I mean the expression "don't bring don't bring a uh, a knife to a gunfight" or is it the other way around? The a gun to a knife fight, but whatever. Ada Ada Thorne brought a baby to a gunfight. She 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 decides to bring a baby to 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 the shootout to this battle. I I I told you I couldn't tell if this was supposed to have a satirical element to it. Like when I saw this, I started laughing. I started bursting out in laughter. I was nervous, but I was I was like, they're not gonna shoot her or the baby. Like I I knew that wasn't going to happen. And she gives her her little speech about how you guys all know what happened in France. Everyone, you guys know how this ends. She's dressed in black in preparation for what's about to happen. And Billy Billy fucking Kimba chimes in and he agrees. And he says that it should be the ones who have caused it. And shoots Tommy in the chest and shoots Danny fucking Whizbang twice. And Danny Danny Whizbang as he charges forward and plops to the floor. As Tommy starts seeing everything in slow motion. And I, I was I I was nervous. I mean Tommy just got shot. He just got shot. And and I I was I was I was not ready for this. I was happy, Josh, because as you mentioned it, when I'm watching, you're not really thinking about that the second Ada shows up, but you're right. If they had drawn that out to be a uh, two, three, four minute scene with her standing there, you know that it, that she's not going to get shot. You know they're not going to kill a baby in the season finale. It's just not going to happen. So I'm happy that everything happened in 30 seconds. You know, it all started. Billy starts yelling. She shoots Tommy, and then Tommy pops Billy fucking Kimba. The last time we'll say the name, right in the forehead. The duel is over. Tommy quickly gets the wherewithal to realize that he won. He can stop all of this just like he was just preached upon by Harry, by Grace, by Ada. Everyone's kind of been filling his head with these, you know, anti-war sentiments. And he stops all of those veterans on Kimber's side, says, this was it. I fought. It was a duel. It was a one-on-one showdown like Alexander Hamilton did in the early days of America, and that's it. And so Kimber's bunch doesn't want to die today. They pick up their former boss. They go home. The Peaky Blinders win. We, we have a sad moment because we say goodbye to Danny Wisbang, but, you know, he served, he served very valiantly in these six episodes, and we thought he died in episode one as just this PTSD guy. And instead... Tommy Shelby once again comes out victorious in the in the smallest of odds here in the season finale. Tommy Shelby against all odds. I mean, you see the that the blinders are outnumbered. They have about seven men to to Billy's to Billy Kimba's. I don't even know how many he had, but they had they were outnumbered. And Danny Wisbang, I the sacrificial lamb. His 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 arc comes to an end, and we say goodbye to Danny Wisbang in a, in a sad way. But he really was he. You know, he he took the bullet for the blinders like he did so many so many times, and kind of the same way that he that he would do for Tommy in France. He he would he would protect Tommy in any way, and this is a powerful scene. Thank freaking God, Billy Kimber is finally gone. I'm so happy I don't have to listen to his annoying ass voice anymore. Grace then pops into Campbell's office. I did not expect to see Grace again, to be honest. I just didn't think we'd see her again in this in this season. I didn't see, think we'd see her and Campbell together because I feel like the inspector could have killed her. 
because what happens, she asks him what he told Tommy about her. She's so curious because she knows that Tommy knows. And Inspector tells her his heart would be broken before the day was over. And so uh, he says, you've broken two hearts, Grace. And she says, as well as my own. As we move over to Tommy getting some uh, medical assistance from our guy, Jeremiah, pulling out the bullet like he did in the war. Arthur feeds him a little bit of rum, just like Tommy did to Arthur, right? Was that early in the in the season when Arthur got beaten up by the inspector? Yes. Arthur throws that the alcohol on Tommy's left peck as they grab the bullet. Danny has a memorial held for him in the side room of the garrison, and they plan on burying him in the grave up on the hill that he would like, originally dug for a Mr. Daniel Owen. Let's wrap through this quickly as Moss comes in to alert the inspector that Mr. William Kimber is dead, not, not Thomas Shelby, meaning the Peaky Blinders won. The expression on the inspector's face was classic. Moss also gets to tell him quite uh, emphatically that Freddie Thorne has escaped his transport by armed men. He was taken, and because there were no officers on the street, he helped with the escape of the Peaky Blinders. And I really love how he digs at the inspector here and says that because there were no officers on the street following your orders, like just slyly and sarcastically just digs at the inspector, that that's why he easily escaped with the help of the blinders. And he says, the Shelbys will get away with murder, just like they always have. Some things just never change, sir. And Campbell is stunned. Sergeant Moss is my... uh my sixth man of the year here. I think he steals the show. I, I just, he kills it. It, it, it. Something pits. Hold on, give me a second. Um, the actor's name. You mentioned it, I think, in the in the first couple episodes that he that you thought he was one of the most underrated characters. And he's he's really come on the last couple episodes. He's great. I mean, he he, he hates the inspector so freaking much. That's I, I feel like that's why we love him so much, no? His name's Tony Pitts, and it almost feels like he's a character avatar because we don't really have anyone on the Peaky Blinders side that we can relate to, because, you know, we're not criminals, like uh, the casual viewers. So there's always seems to be one character avatar, and it just feels like, you know, Pitts hates, or Moss hates both sides so much that he we're kind of rooting for him as he goes, and, you know, we're happy. We feel like at first the inspector doesn't feel like a bad guy, and then he turns out to be the devil. I And I don't know if, if we have any Billions fans out there. Billy, I, I know you, Daniel, you love Billions. But it has the same feel, like in the beginning, I loved Chuck Rhodes, and I hated Bobby Axelrod, and I had the same feeling. I was like, oh, the inspector is here for good, and you know, Tommy Shelby's the criminal. He's, he's, he's the one that we're not going to like, and it totally flips, because I love Bobby Axelrod, and I hate Chuck Rhodes, and it's just identical. I, I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I always loved Tommy Shelby, and, and I kind of liked Bobby Axelrod in the beginning of Billions, but I understand how it's just you find out that maybe the anti-hero is way more likable than the, I don't know, anti-villain, however you want to call it, than, than the guy who looks like he's going to be the savior and instead turns into the devil. And um, Right, right. It's, it's, just, it's just really well created. The character development in the show is deep. We get to see the roots of even a, a minor character like Sergeant Moss and the, the demons he has to battle within to decide whether he wants to take payoffs from the Peaky Blinders or he wants to work under his, you know, commanding officer who is letting all of this terrible shit happen. And as as we see the winners celebrate at the garrison, Danny's body is driven off. Tommy makes it known that he wants Danny's sons to be left alone so they can find ordinary work 
showing us that even you know Thomas Shelby knows how dangerous this business is and doesn't want innocents to get too involved. The inspector calls Winston Churchill to let him know once again, I feel like we've seen this twice now, his work is not done yet. There's some personal business that the inspector has to deal with. So we're probably going to get him back next season, which uh, Sam Neill, you know, fantastic actor. I'm okay having him for another season of Peaky Blinders. Tommy shows up at Grace's apartment. And once again, I just feel like it's kind of a never-ending thing here with Grace. She says she's going to leave. She goes to see the inspector. She doesn't leave. So Grace and Tommy are in her apartment. Grace just wants to tell him who she is. But Tommy already knows. She brushes it off and calls it circumstance. Says it's just uniform. Like, all right, fine, we could hate each other while we're working, but we're going to love each other on the bench. No, that, that doesn't work, Grace. She wants him to give up the life. Says that she loves him. And she, she, it's, it's a very big buildup. She's like, here it comes. I love you. And Tommy says, and there it goes, saying that there is no chance. But Grace does leave a little window open, gives him an address in London where she's going to be for a week before she moves to New York. And uh, that is open. That little window is open here, Josh. What did you think of that scene? It, this was a, a scene that it was, it was frustrating, to be honest. Because I just can't help but wonder why Tommy would even would even give this a smidgen of a chance after all that Grace has done against him. I mean, I do love Grace. Don't don't get me wrong, but it's crazy. Like Tom, like you would think that the kind of person Tommy is that he would he would just be done with this. He would just be done with this. And he says that there is no chance. There is no chance. But you could hear it in his voice and see it in his eye that he he wants to give it a little bit of a smidgen of a chance. And he goes on a little, as you said, he, he, he leaves it open. And so Tommy and Polly have one last meet at the garrison. Polly wants to get some drinks. Tommy, it's a special occasion, Josh, tells her to go and reach for the back, open a bottle of champagne, which I think is supposed to be representative to the fact that Tommy's not going to have it with Grace because it was supposed to be a special occasion for them. Instead, they crack open the bottle of champagne Tommy finds out that the Lee boys took all of the pitches at the Worcester races, essentially taking over the business from Billy Kimber. It could not have gotten better if they planned it that way. And for a second, I'm like, wait a minute, did he plan it? And then I was like, nah, nah, there's no way he did that. <laughs> yeah, I, he, 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 he says, just as we planned. Like, uh, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, if you want to, you know, have a nice shootout with Billy Kimber and uh, lose one of your men and uh, take a bullet you know, to the chest. Take a bullet to the left peck and go through that brutal uh, removal that that Jeremiah still has the knack for. Then, then so be it. That's a great plan. I mean, it it, it went perfectly. Shelby Limited is now the third largest legal racetrack in the country. Only the Sabinis and the Solomons are bigger. So those are two names to keep an eye on here heading into season two. Tommy is clearly heartbroken, takes a healthy chug of the champagne, and we head to the final scene where Tommy takes a, a bit of his, uh, of his headlined paper, puts it into the typewriter, and starts writing Grace a letter. As we see her waiting at a foggy train station, the scenes go back and forth. Tommy mentions that he writes to all of his enemies, but this is the first one that he's loved. Tommy's torn because he knows he has to stay and take care of all of the people he loves as we see a little flashover of all of the members of the Shelby clan. Mr. Shelby mentions that before the war, he flipped a coin to make important decisions. Not, uh, uh, not, not the most advisable technique, but as I like to think, if you flip a coin, Josh, whatever you want it to land in, 
whether you want heads or tails, that's when your decision is made. So I'm not sure if Tommy made it when it was in the air or when it landed. Tommy mentions, quote, Polly is never wrong about the matters of the heart. And so Polly mentioned that she's in love with him. So Tommy knows that Grace really is in love. He's going to give his decision three days. He starts to flip the coin. The coin is in midair, Josh. We see the inspector show up to the train station holding a gun pointed at Grace. We cannot see anything else. The coin is in midair. The coin lands in Tommy's hand. He puts it on the table. It doesn't matter which it is. A gunshot rings out, and that ends the fucking episode with Love is Blindness by Jack White playing quite fittingly here to end season one. And this was one of those those really great camera shots where it pans in on Grace's face as she's kind of reading the letter, and we hear Tommy's voice, and it it turns around where you don't see you don't even see inspector campbell yet and all of a sudden you see just him pointing the gun at her head and it was just a great great directing and really great production to 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 have that camera angle in that in that particular way i was freaking stressing out again man and i cannot imagine i cannot imagine waiting a whole entire i don't even know how long between season one and two to see what the hell happens after that gunshot. I watched it on Netflix. You watched it on Netflix. I watched it two years ago. So I was able to click season two, episode one immediately. If you guys are listening and we've already posted season two, episode one, I recommend that you guys click that right now. We're going to save our overall thoughts on the season for a recap that we're going to be posting. So keep an eye out for that season one recap. For those of you just trying to get a broad knowledge of the seasons, promote that to all of your friends who don't want to go through every episode. We're just going to be posting recaps for each of the four seasons. So keep an eye for that. Make sure to subscribe and follow as always. Like us on Facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast or on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. Keep the feedback coming. We'll make sure to shout you guys out in season two as we continue our rewatch of the Peaky Blinders. We'll have instant reaction for season five coming soon to BBC and coming in just about a month and a half to Netflix. So wrapping up for season one, he's Josh, I'm Daniel. We'll be back soon for our next episode of the By Order of the Peaky Blinders, a podcast recapping and previewing our favorite show while we binge so you don't have to. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. <laughs> <laughs>